Okay, I've actually been looking forward <clears throat> to this shear for weeks and weeks. I kept thinking we're going to get to this one. Um, I'm very excited. These to be on top, but these don't need to be. Hello, good morning. We're just starting. <laughs> okay, one of those days. Um, all right, so essentially last week what we what we got to was, and, and really the last two weeks, when I put on my belt, I'm bracing myself to be strong. I'm channeling my energy. It's also where my weapons, let's say, are located, will be on the belt or my tools. And I'm knowing at the same time that it's my self-control that is my real power and strength. And the belt in the physical plane should be reminding me also of my strength on a spiritual plane which kind of makes the belt the biggest weapon of all, right? The ability to control myself is really the bigger weapon of all of them. All right. And this is, why is this Ozer Yisrael Begura? I mean, everything we set up until now has an element of universality to it. It applies to all people, really, the benefit of having shoes. Or, so we've talked about it, really, we, we've already indicated, like a lot of these things really connect to the results coming out of Gan Eden, and the Jewish people are the nation as a family, beginning as individuals and then as a family, who, who picked up the dropped ball of humanity and said, no, we're on board. Despite the fact that things are not perfect, we will stay with this and see it through until the end, until it comes to perfection. So even that which is universal to all mankind has a special meaning to the Jewish people throughout all of the generations because we are essentially taking the role of mankind for everyone. That's a, a, that is the leadership role of Orla Goyim, of being a light into all nations, is continuing the role of, uh, or attempting to continue the role of Adam Harishon until such time as it's possible for all of mankind to fulfill its destiny with Hashem. So, but here we have an extra point, meaning this bracha specifically mentions the Jewish people, Ozer Yisrael Bigvura. And, and that's where we focus on this idea, and here's, here's how belt is described, okay? In many places, there are halachos about men in particular wearing belts. I'm not aware of a halacha for a woman to have a divider, but for men, there is, there is a concept that a man should have a belt dividing between the upper part of the body and the lower part of the body. He should always have a belt? Um, during waking hours, certainly. <clears throat> so Hasidim put on a gartel, right? right? For davening, that goes, they put that right over their clothes, even over their jacket. Right, so that's like specifically when davening seems to. I'm not so familiar. I'm not really familiar at all with these halachos. I just know that they exist. So I don't know what they are and when they apply and when it's more important. Does it have to be all the time? Um, I know that certainly, certainly in many cases, just the fact of having a button on their pants, a waistband, is enough. Like mm -hmm. to be to to fulfill the basic necessity of having a belt. That also that is enough. Or and for sure, if they have a belt on don't need to have, like, beyond right. that. But, but even a waistband, a drawstring cord that ties on sweatpants, like, all of those things would fulfill the fundamental requirement. It's, it's entirely possible, you know, without, like, not maybe the classiest thing to talk about, but if you have elastic in your underpants, that could also be serving a purpose as a belt. I don't, I don't know exactly how the halachas play out, right? Not everyone is chassidish and ties a gartel, which is like a thin rope or a string over their clothes. doesn't mean they're not wearing a belt, all right? And the point of that belt is in order, so that the heart is not seeing 
the part of the body that should have been clothed. Right? So if you imagine somebody wearing like a shift dress, right, like an A-line dress, so it's like the heart can see the erva. And in this way, by putting a belt, it separates. And it keeps the heart, let's say, in a pure zone. So that that's not what's affecting it all the time. And this gives a person spiritual strength and helps them to conquer Yetzirah. Okay, so this gets to the, the concept of what is the belt about. And I would say that even though we didn't maybe mention, I don't know if we mentioned that halacha, but, or that concept of the halacha, but we certainly got as far as that. Okay. So one interesting fact then is when we say Ozer Yisrael Bigvura, we're not only, Rav Pinka says, we're not only being grateful for having the strength and being given a belt, being given a concept of belting, meaning a concept of, of pulling together our strength, channeling our strength, um, using gavura, which is that which holds back or divides, right? Using that to be able to be stronger. But we're also grateful for the need. We're grateful for having something that needs to be divided, which is such an interesting way to think about it, right? We're grateful because a malach doesn't need a belt. There's nothing to see. Well, people need belts because we're half animal. <laughs> Why to be grateful for that? I mean, doesn't it yeah. just bring more challenges? And it more for sure brings more challenge. It also brings more meaning to the success. Mm-hmm. It means our successes tend to be less perfect. So our actual achievements are not what they would be if we were granted perfection. Sounds good. But they have more meaning. But they have more meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they have more meaning. And that's our role as people, is choosing. So we've indicated this idea before. That, and that will come up on it a little more in the next bracha because Oter Yisrael B'Sifarah, who crowns the Jewish people with glory, the crowning glory of a human being is free will. That's really the crowning glory, the ability to use your mind to choose that which is right, to choose that which is holy, to choose to serve Hashem because it's right, despite the messages that might be coming from the body or from the emotions, which are part of the physical state, um, that's the crowning glory of humanity. It's the ability to use the spiritual to overcome the physical, and not uh, hopefully not to only to overcome it, meaning this concept of being grateful for having the physical is that we're also using it. The goal of the belt is not to cut off your circulation so that you cut off the animal side of you completely and let it drop dead. The goal of having the belt is that we're channeling, right? We talked about the belt as that which which holds it together so that we grow upward, right? The goal is to be able to take the strength of the physical body and use it for Avodah Hashem. So we really are grateful for both. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work if the body's in control. If the body's calling the shots, then you're going to miss the whole point of getting it up towards Hashem, and then where have you gotten? Not so much anywhere. So there's a... Um, Especially when seen in, when you see how these two brachos kind of will form a pair, you can tell they have the same same rhythm to them, right? Baruch Atah Hashem Ukenim Al Halam Ozer Yisrael Bigvura and Oter Yisrael Besifara. They have like a similar ring to them, a similar. They have like the same number of syllables, the same kind of rhyme to them. They're a pair because you could have the same action with a different intention. And it makes all the difference in the world. Meaning, I could do something because I've chosen to do what is right, and it comes out looking the same as someone else who did it because they were driven to do it. For physical or emotional reasons, they were driven to do it. So what's the difference if the end result was the same? But there is a difference. 
the kedusha is a function of what goes on also in the decision making and in the mind and in the reasoning behind it and why I'm doing this. You, you have that in Asher Kedushanu B'mitzvosav. That when we do a mitzvah, it makes us holy. It brings kedusha. But that's that comes out of the recognition of Baruch Ato Hashem Asher that there is a God and He commanded us to do this. So the fact that somebody else happens to wash their hands because they're dirty, and I wash my hands maybe because they're dirty, but because they need to be clean for Avodas Hashem. That's a very big difference. One can create Kedusha. And that has to do with my thinking and, and the intention that's behind it. Okay. So now I want to I show you something that I just thought was mind-boggling about this idea of being grateful for both, meaning there is a merging of the physical and the spiritual. We're grateful for both. We're grateful, really, that we've been given a physical body, that we can use that towards Avodah Hashem. It, it does take some rethinking. I mean, we tend to think of like, oh, this is just in my way. This is like the millstone around my neck is this physicality or the taiva or the emotions, which are part of that, right? The emotions are part of the phys- our physical life, more or less. And, and, and it also allows us to They do get that. in the way, right. So it's, it can be hard to transition if we've been thinking of that as our enemy. It can be difficult to transition to thinking about this as our resource. It's not that it's, it's, not that it's who I am, but that this is the main resource I have available to me is my physical body and my physical life and the energy and the emotional state and the motivation, all of that. And that have, comes back to that idea of serving God with both of our yetzers, mm-hmm. the yetzer har and the yetzer to, which is ultimately where, ultimately we kind of get to that in that final yehi ratzon that holds all these brachos together. What was the word you use? It's not our enemy, but our... Um, I don't remember. Uh, it's our resource. Resource. Yeah. Okay. So I want to show you something really, really, really awesome. Um, I wrote it on the board. I'm sorry. I would have done different colors to make it easier to separate, but only the red pen really worked. The, the purple didn't work that well. So it's all red. Um, Blue Nether for next week. I'll try and make it into a handout so that you can have a real copy of it. All right. So the... Uh, the Yalka, the Midrash brings, uh, the Yalka brings a Midrash in Parsha Shemini that says this. Lefichach nikru rishonim sofrim. The early generation of leaders, and this is talking about after the time of Queen Esther. So until the time of Esther and Mordechai, we, we're in the time of prophets, right? There was prophets and kings. After this, the next group of leaders were called sofrim. So the one who's famous as the Sofer is Ezra, Ezra HaSofer. He's the first of the Sofrim. Mm-hmm. Okay, so why were they called Sofrim? So a Sofer is someone who writes letters, right, of a, of a Sefer Torah, Megillah, Mezuzah, Tefillin. Um, but Sofer can mean to count, okay? So they were called Sofrim, Shahayu Sofrim Kol Osio Shabbat Torah, because they counted all the letters in the Torah. Okay, so I think our first understanding of that, which is true, is because they, they counted them like they were careful with them, right? They're, they're transcribing the Sefer Torah. Ezra made, Ezra's Sefer Torah is the gold benchmark for what is a kosher Sefer Torah, given that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu had been hidden away some generations before him already in the end of the second temple, a uh, first temple period. So he set you know, the sort of Sefer Torah against which all Torahs can be checked. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Sofrim. But it also means counted, <laughs> like actually numbered, sat and counted. Now that's something you do when you have something very precious. 
if something's really valuable to you, you have a collection, right? Kids have collections. My kids grew up in Israel, my older kids. So instead of collecting, like, baseball cards and quarters and whatever, they collected apricot pits and <laughs> bus transfers and wow. business cards and paper napkins, you know. It's different, different quality of collecting, but they count them, they sort them. I've got this many and I've got this many to trade because they're spares. Okay, they counted all the, all the letters in the Torah. Shahayu Omrim, they said, it was the Sofrim who told us, Vov de Gichon Chetzion Shal Osios Shal Sefer Torah. The, uh, not Gichon, Gachon. That the Vav of Gachon is halfway, is the midway point of all the letters of the Torah and Darash, um, and Darosh Darash is halfway in the words. So, so let me show you what we're talking about. It's okay, it's, it's, we're going to say it. It's up here. Okay, so I brought, a, I brought the smallest Vayikra in the house so that I could carry it easily. All right, so in Parshas Tav, un- understandably, this is going to be the book of Vayikra, which is the middle book of the Torah. Right, it's not going to be exactly in the middle of Vayikra because Vayikra is kind of short and bracious and Shmos are longer than Bamidbar and Devarim. Uh-huh. So it doesn't come out like exactly midway. So they ca- the book counted actually each word? counted every letter and every word. Wow. So here's how it goes. In Vayikra, it's like Parshas Tzav Ches Pazag Zayin. And I'll show you that it's actually marked. Every Chomash I've seen marks this. Vayitain Olav Es Hakutones. And Moshe put onto Aharon. This is the initiation of the Kohanim into the service of the base of the Mishkan. He put onto him the ketones, which is the what do you call it? Like a like a robe? It's a garment. Vayach gor oso ba'avnet, and he belted it with the avnet. And avnet is like a sash, right? So it's a cloth that you wrap around your middle to make a belt. This already gets interesting, that's right? Crazy. We're already that's like, hey, middle. that's our topic, right? So it's see? also like the middle of the Torah, and it's talking about the middle. Exactly. That's exactly the point. Yeah. Wow. Good point. Yeah. Vayal es No, I didn't. Not at all. I'm just <laughs> and he dressed him with the me'il. The me'il is a garment, like a, a sleeveless tunic that goes over the sleeved katona's tunic. He put the me'il and dressed it onto him, and he put onto him, I hate to translate that as apron, but I don't know what else you would call it. It's like a third garment that goes over the meal and over, and it's, the front of it looks sort of like apron-y, really, right? It has like a sort of a bib, and then kind of two sides of a skirt that hang down, and a belt in the back. Um, and he tied it onto him, okay? And you can see here, it says in little letters, Chatsi HaTorah Bipsukim. Halfway through the Torah in verses. You missed a little part there. Oh, you know, that's really funny. I don't. I didn't see it here. Let me look oh. back. It could just be I skipped along. Or it could be that when I copied it over into my into my notebook, I skipped something else. That was also possible. Yeah, you're right. I skipped it. And he, um, sorry, he belted onto the bib. He belted the, the the way that the ephod is is the top part looks sort of like a bib and it's got like shoulder straps, and then it's like over here somewhere. You see how it says little letters after the pesuk. Here, Hatorah oh. oh, This is halfway through the Torah b'psukim, meaning up until here it's the first half of the Torah, uh-huh. and after that it's the second half of the Torah. Okay, now that's with if you count the verses, but 
if you count the words, you come out in a different spot because different verses have different numbers of words in them. So if you want to know where is the midpoint of the Torah, depends how you count. If you count by verses, that's the middle one. What if you count for words? So if you count for words, you get to Parsha Shmini, not long after, Vayikra Perak Yud Pasuk Tezayin. This just, I don't know, get the shivers just reading it, right? Ve'esir hachatos. And with regard to the goat that serves as the korban chatas, dorosh dorash Moshe. Moshe, okay, if it said dorash Moshe, it would be Moshe investigated, right? Or asked with regard. Dorosh dorash is exceedingly emphatic. Right, why is it repeated? It's, it's a repetition. It, it's not a repetition exactly. It is the same word twice. But it, what it means is he delved very, very deeply into <coughs> investigating. The Hine Saraf, it had been burned. Vayiktsof al Elazar ve'al Isamar. And he was upset with Elazar and Isamar b'nei Aharon hanosarim the remaining sons of Aaron, Lamor. And he said to them, why did you eat? Why did you not eat the chatas? And they explained to him their reasoning. And by the way, they were right. And he said, oh, yeah, you're right. It was good. Okay? So he's like, wait, what's going on here? It wasn't right. And it was right. And the middle of the Torah in words is between darosh and darash. Whoa, Okay. I'm going to come back. We'll talk a little. Rav, Rav, uh, Rav Schwab has a, an explanation. Why these and what do they have in common? Okay. Now, but what if I counted the actual letters? I mean, we said the Sofrim counted every letter of the Torah. What would be the middle of the Torah if I counted every single letter? Not just every word and not just every verse. Then we get to just a little bit later. Also in Parsha Shmini Yud Aleph Membez. This is within the halachos of what you're allowed to eat and not eat, right? Parsha Shmini of the laws of kashos. Kol holech al gachon. Whatever walks upon its belly. And now you just say, well, I know what walks on gachon. There's only one thing that goes on its gachon. The snake. Hashem said to the snake in Barashas, al gachon chaselech. You're going to walk on your belly. I'm reading now from Bracious Gimel Yudalid. Because you did this, you are cursed from all animals. And all the beasts of the field. On your belly, you're going to go. You're going to proceed. You're going to walk. And you will eat dirt all the days of your life. And I will put a a, a dislike, a disgust between you and between this woman and between your children and between her children. He'll be beating you down at your head. And you're going to be beating up at him from the, from the heel. Okay, come back to my verse here. So as soon as I hear whatever it is that, that walks on its belly, there's really only one thing that's going to come to mind. Mikol holech al arba, from all which walk upon four legs, ad kol marbe raglaim, until anything that has even many, many legs, lechol hasheretz, anything that is creepy crawly or swarmy, hasheretz al haaretz, that swarms upon the earth, lo sochlum, do not eat them, 
Kishekets Haim because they are disgusting. Rav Hirsch defines the word Shekets as passionate direction of our will towards anything that is directly opposed to God's will, which in this context, my goodness, right? Anything creepy crawly, eating of that would be like craving something that is creepy crawly would be a... but yeah, it could be. It could. Be. I, I don't know exactly like what's called a sheket. I mean, certainly something, let's say, like a centipede, mm-hmm. would be in the, a sheretz, right? A snake, clearly, right? Is something that eating that is um, is somehow connected. It's a desire to do something. It's, it's a very strong craving to do something that is directly opposite God's will. It's not just like not quite what we should have done, but it's seriously opposite. Okay. Now, in this context, in the context of saying that which crawls on its belly. Difficult. Not only that, the vav is big, and that vav in gachon, okay, the letter vav means a hook. The word vav means hook. The letter vav is shaped like a hook. It's something that connects two things. That vav, that hook, connects two sides of the Torah. That is the exact midway point. Whoa. It's like already, I don't know, to me, just even seeing these is like very mind-blowing. Where did you get the vav? According to like we're yeah, it's actually written what? in every chumash. Here it is. Oh, vav the letter vav in gachon. Chazi haTorah beOsios is uh-huh. halfway through the Torah in letters havav rabasi, and that vav is a is an oversized vav, jumbo size, ultra size, big gulp vav. Yeah, so we don't know what the connection is. Right now, we just see it. That third one really gives the shivers. Like here we are. We're talking about the snake. We're, as soon as you're talking about the snake, you're talking about the Yetzirah, kind of personified, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not personified, but um, animalified, so animated. The separation of the, uh, that uh, certainly uh, seems to be. But there's more of a theme the there. You one. get a sense there's more of a theme, but then what's with the middle one? Right. What's the Darash Darash? Okay. So Rav, Rav Schwab, in Mayan Beis Hashoeva. The last one is the separation between what? She's saying that you can see there that like there, that would be talking about a separation from the Yetzirah trying to separate the heart from the physical drive. Like not to do anything that is directly against Hashem as well. Mm-hmm. Right. That seems like a little more obvious to the topic. But the other ones may be less. And the first one also seems. The, the second one may be less so. It would be interesting to spend even more time figuring out the second one. But I'll tell you so far what Rav Schwab says. Rav Schwab, I find in general, is just very, very satisfying. So if it's not, then we have to go back and really look at the passage again. Just because like, his thinking is always very, very solid and straightforward and and satisfying. Roshav's one of these Peyrushim. Uh, he's not a Peyrush, I'm saying he's modern. And he, but when, when I read a, a Chiddush, like a Torah from Rav Schwab, it's like, likely it's not, I'm gonna, it's going to make you smile. Like, it just feels good. Like, the question's really a question, the answer's really an answer. It's satisfying, it's not a stretch, it's not. So, if I don't give it over properly, then maybe we'll look back at it again, at the original, because it could be I just missed the point. All right. So, he says, we see in the first one that the concept, the first one is talking about an actual belt, right? Halfway through the Torah in verses, is actually talking about putting on a belt. You put on the cloak, you put on the tunics, and then you put on the belt, and then you put on the aphod and you belt that, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's a respectable amount of belting going on over there for one verse. And um, the concept of a belt is to divide between the heart and the erva, so it is, a belt is that which does two things. It divides 
and it distinguishes. So here, I just want to introduce a concept which I'm not sure we've talked about in this class before. I think we've hinted to it, which is if a person wanted to look at the sun, okay, this is actually Rav Schwab's example, although not in this particular essay. If a person wants to look at the sun, that is a bad idea because the sensor equipment that's built into our body will be oversaturated by the light of the sun. It will max out and damages the sensors, meaning the eyes, and they can burn out. But if a person has a correctly polarized glass, what that will do is it will send a bunch of the light, polarized glass sends a bunch of light in, in, certain, in one direction and a bunch of light in another direction. So at least half the light will go in another direction, not to the eyes. And that reduces the light enough that you could look through the polarized glass to look at the sun. And that's what people do when there's an eclipse and they want to see it, but it's got to be the right polarization of glass. Okay. Which means that the polarized glass is doing two things at the same time. It's reducing how much light is coming into my eyes, but it's also allowing me to see it more directly. That is, generally speaking, what a mechitza is for, a divider. Okay, it's true in a shul. If you have a mechitza in a shul, the men and women can sit a lot closer than they could otherwise. It's really funny. We don't think of it. We only think of the dividing aspect. But the truth is, when you have a mechitza, what it lets you do is get closer to something than you otherwise could get. So in the base of Mikdash, there's a Kodesh HaKadashim. It's a spiritual, you know, nuclear core of the world. You can't go in there. Uh, a Kohen Gadol can go in there with a lot of preparation, a, once a year, one, one day of the year, and when he comes out whole, and they haven't had to drag him out by the rope that they tied around his belt, probably why they tied around the belt, um, people celebrated. It was scary when he went in there. You really didn't know, even Did if he was a good person. Dying? A lot of them. Time of the second base on Mikdash, if you look at the numbers, they went through like one a year for a long time because they had these tzedukim and they had people buying their way into it. They went through a lot of Kohen Gadol's in the Second Temple era, not in the first one. first one, you have like way less than the number of years. In the Second Temple, you have like 200 of them. Wow. And that's because the first bunch of years, you just had one for a lot of years. And then you start going through them faster and faster and faster to the point where they started tying a belt around their waist when they went in. Because what are you going to do if he doesn't come out? Like, how are you going to get him out? So... There was a tension in going in there. So what do you have? You have a parochas. You have a curtain. And it divides. Because otherwise, how would you even go into the Kodesh? You could go into the Kodesh because you'd be looking straight into the Kodesh HaKodesh. Right? So you have a divider. And now a, ko- a Kohen, who's Tahor, can go in to do a voda in the Kodesh. You can light the menorah. You can put the bread on the, the Shulchan. You can take the bread off the Shulchan. Right? You can do all the avoda that's required in there. You could put something onto the Mizbeach of Ketoros. Why? Because there's something dividing. So dividing does two things. Dividing separates, but dividing also brings together. It does both. It's really a very interesting insight into what dividing is about. It divides and it distinguishes. So when you put something to divide, what you're doing is you're saying, there's a distinction. These are not the same. Somewhere I can draw a line Right, mavdil is like the word havdalah. Havdalah is where I can draw a line and say, up until here it was Shabbos. Up until here it is not Shabbos. So 
on the one hand, that's like offensive. I mean, if you're the weekday, well, why shouldn't I? <laughs> like you're telling me I'm less than the Shabbos, whatever. But that's also, otherwise you have no meaning to your Shabbos. If your Shabbos and your weekday cannot be told apart, mm-hmm. so what's your Shabbos, yeah. right? So, you know, Rev Hutner has one of many, many amazing lines. Havdalah is the Kiddush of the week. Havdalah is the Kiddush and of the week. The it's not just the end of Shabbos. It's the beginning of a week. Mm-hmm. And it also and makes week, the weekdays holy. The, it, it brings the Kiddush of Shabbos into the week. It gives the, it gives the week a purpose. Right. The week has a purpose. There's stuff we're meant to do during the week. If every day was Shabbos, so great. So you'd have Olam Haba but you wouldn't be doing the jobs of the week. It's sort of like you know being only soul or only perfect right. and never having the body and never recruiting it towards Avodah Hashem. The, the recruitment and the use of the physical world and turning it all into an expression of love of God and recognition of God, all of that is a function of the week. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it is appropriate then that that first pasuk is halfway through the Torah in Pesukim, the one about belting. Because it is a belt. It serves the purpose of dividing and saying there's a difference between this half and that half. It's a divider. Okay. But what about the other ones? So here's his approach. I didn't translate it, so I'm kind of reading it in Hebrew. These other verses also are uniquely the ability to divide. Now, what really jumped out in that second puzzle, which is halfway through the Torah in words, was the fact that the middle point was between darosh and darash, which was already a phrase that really leaps out at you. <laughs> Rashi has a way of saying, Ein hamikra hazeh omer ela darshani, right? He says it at the beginning of Barashas. This puzzle is saying nothing other than explain me, darshani. <laughs> I think you could say that about this puzzle, darshani, like explain me, and it is the word darash. Mm-hmm. But it's how you got to explain. It's begging for explanation, and it's begging for explanation of the word explanation, really. Right. Okay. And not only that, like you're saying that he investigated, and then he realized he was wrong. And he was wrong. So it's like, as much as he investigated, and I. Love and that he was he, satisfied. I By the way, it says Vayitav, like it was good in his eyes. He didn't have a problem with being wrong. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's very awesome. Very very awesome. Okay. So he says, this is talking about Moshe Rabbeinu's investigation of the case of the Seir of Rosh Chodesh, the Rosh Chodesh, <coughs> the Rosh Chodesh Korban. And he, Taina, he, he, his argument to Aaron was, you were commanded to eat from the Korban of Rosh Chodesh, even though your sons just died. Now, normally, a Kohen does not eat from Karbanos if he is an Onain. Uh, nobody does mitzvahs when they're in onin. Between the time, What's on this? an onin is a person is a person who's in a state of grieving that is so intense that it's as if like they've had an amputation, oh. and there's not been any chance to heal at all. That's the time between when someone has died and when they're buried. So it has a halachic purpose, which is you focus on nothing else other than accompanying this person and making sure that they're buried. And it has an emotional purpose. We, we assume that you are in no state to attend to anything else. And a person is putter from any mitzvah ase. They're not allowed to do a mitzvah lo sase, but they're putter from a mitzvah sase. Even for man davening? 
every mitzvah's asay. Wow. Okay, again, halacha lamaisa got to to a rafa's pose, because I'm just somebody who, you know, reads here and knows there's such halachos. But yeah, Rabbi Orlovsky talks about, I think, I think it was when his father passed away, maybe they buried him in Israel, um, and flying all the way home on an airplane, and he couldn't learn Torah. All the way from, you know, New York to Israel, it's a long flight. He's and for a person who's a, to do it. He's potter from it. He's not supposed to be doing this as asay. It's like reading a book, you know, like you could read about maybe halachas of Oni. Like there's, there's not too much you can do. You know, what do other people think? Who cares? <laughs> At some point, right? Like the person's really not allowed to be busy with other things um, because they're supposed to be fully attending to the, to the mace. And also because reverse says, we also understand that they're not really in a state to attend to anything else. And this is the time for them to attend to the fact that that is how they feel. You know, a person could also be in so much shock that they don't fully realize how they feel yet. And it's important to get in touch with that. It's important not to allow yourself to be so distracted mm -hmm. by other duties that you don't recognize how you feel. The Torah is trying to help us get through a process with mourning, right? It goes from more intense to less intense. And as it's moving from more intense to less intense, there's another thing happening at the same time overlaid on that, which is greater and greater involvement of the community mm -hmm. in your life. So that a person starts off essentially alone. And then the first couple days of Shiva, generally speak, like, I think it, nowadays people aren't so mocked on this, but generally speaking, it would only be very, very close, close friends, close teachers, close family who would come to visit during the first couple days of a Shiva. And then everyone comes. It's an expansion of feeling related to the community, but you're still in your home. And then after that, you go out into the community, but you're still mourning, right? It's, it's a transition. It's finding strength in the fact that there is community and that you're part of something bigger than yourself and that the person that you've lost is part of something bigger than yourself. Moshe tells the Jewish people, you are all standing here today, a whole Jewish people. There's a concept of the body of the Jewish people, and we don't die. The Jewish people as a body is, is not subject to death even though within us we come and go and leaders come and go and people come and go but in the end there is a nation of Israel and it is comforting to realize you're part of something bigger than yourself that is eternal so that's a process that happens can you explain sorry can you explain that yeah, yeah so what? Rav Hirsch's explanation on he says you are all standing here today it's in Devarim right. Right? you are all standing here today and Chazal say, you're all standing here. Everybody, even those who are not born yet, those who are born yet, everyone is here today. And then you talk about the halachos of the leaders and because the leaders will come and go and they have to realize that the nation stands forever. And the people also have to know that we stand forever. It's, on the one hand, the individuals come and go. Right, but even we when each, they go, they're part of us. But right? we're part of a Jewish nation. We're part of a greater soul so to speak. We're all branches off of this very big trunk of the Jewish soul tree descended from Avram Avinu. And that doesn't die. There's more, you know, everything is branched and branched and branched and branched. And that is very comforting. When we realize that even when we've lost somebody or even in our own fear of, of our own, you know, sense of loss and, and um, finite life, it is reassuring to know that we're part of something bigger, which means that what we do is not lost. And the changes that we've made in ourselves are not lost. They're forever. The actions that we've taken last forever. 
everything we do lasts forever, and that is partly a function of being part of a, an eternal nation that doesn't die. And that's, that is a great feeling of comfort when a person is in Avelos, but it, a person can't handle that at the beginning. It's not necessarily comforting if the day, you know, before the person's even buried and now they're overwhelmed with hundreds of people visiting them. It's not necessarily the most comforting thing. First, first a person recognizes their pain. Then you're in a much better condition to actually be comforted by that which will comfort the pain. When a person has the comfort and they are in denial or they're numb and they weren't able to realize what the pain was in the first place, then eventually when you feel it later, sometimes the comfort seems a little bit distant because now everyone's gone home, you know? So some of that happens anyway, and I guess it's part of the process is learning to, to bridge that. But getting involved and getting back involved with the community and doing for others, all of that really does help ease the pain. It's not just that it's a distraction, it's a connection and being involved with other people. Okay. So Moshe is looking into, oh, that's, I was like, how did we get here? Okay. He said, how come you didn't eat from the Korban, he says to Aaron, because even though he, Aaron was in Onain, on the day that the Mishkan was, was first established and used, he lost two sons, Aaron, Nadav and Avi, who died. And they hadn't been buried yet. So on a normal day, Aaron would think he's not supposed to eat from the Korban. But on this day, he had been commanded that he should eat from the... He had to perform the avoda of the Mishkan no matter what. Because he was the Kohen Gadol, he wasn't a regular Kohen, and because there wasn't anyone else to take over the job, then the need of the community came first, and he had to do that. <coughs> so that's why Moshe's like, wait, but you were told that you have to eat from the Karbanos even though you're an Onin. And he answered, there is a difference between Kod Shah and Kod Doros. He says, you told me that Hashem said I need to eat from the karbanos of the Hanukkah Samishkan for dedicating the Mishkan because those are irreplaceable. Today is, this is it. This is the only day in history that's going to be Hanukkah Samishkan. And I'm the Kohen Gadol. So there's nobody to replace that job. This is the need of the moment. And therefore, I need to eat from it. But I understood that that wouldn't apply to a karban that wasn't once only. That was Kodshe Doros. It's a carbon that's going to keep on going for all generations. So I didn't eat from the Rosh Chodesh carbon. Because next year... Imagine, I can't even like... What it would mean... That kind of interpretation. That kind of thinking. What is it Hashem really wants me to do here? And not exactly here? And what are the long-term implications? And he's thinking... He's able to think all of this under the pressure and the stress. And the, like everything that was going on is unbelievable. The emotional of evil the combination of joy and pain that he was going through. And this is what he was thinking. And that was his answer, Dorosh Dorash. And so Moshe investigates into it extremely deeply. And it's two words because it's talking about a process of making a very fine distinction. What goes on this side? What goes on that side? Where do we draw the line between Kodshe Doros and Kod Shah. He never thought about it that way, it seems. Aaron thought of it that way. Moshe hadn't thought of it that way. And, and Aaron was right. Aaron and his sons were right. His remaining sons. I mean, that, that Pasuk, right? Um, I think I maybe spelled that wrong. Let me just check. It looks like I said Benosarim, and I think it's Hanosarim. 
I'm so sorry, but I missed why was it okay for him to eat? Because in the future they would it's be It's Hondo Sarim. That's a mistake on there. You're he said I, I wasn't supposed, I was supposed to eat from the other carbonos that okay. were, that were Kodshe Shah. They were only unique to the dedication of the Mishkan. But I understood that you weren't, that when Hashem told you to tell me that, it didn't mean that I should eat from the Kodshe Doros, the ones for all oh, generations to come. It. So it's true, this is the very first Rosh Chodesh Korban in the Mishkan, but next month there'll be another one, and next month there'll be another so one. So he only ate for the one that it was so only So he only that time. ate, right. And he went ahead and completely to burned. To show that the other ones he shouldn't eat because he's in mourning. And not to show. He understood that this he one he shouldn't eat from it. it. He wasn't supposed to eat from it because he wasn't owning. Mm-hmm. Now, Moshe comes and he says, what do you mean? I told you that Hashem said you should eat from the Karma. And Hashem didn't say. And Hashem had said that. No, Moshe to wasn't eat lying. From the other one he had also? said to eat from the other. Hashem had told Moshe, let me see if I can find it. I don't know if it's a puzzle. But not when, when his children were dead. Hashem said, eat from the, from the korbanos. That's for sure. But the question was, is he supposed to eat? But did Hashem say that? Are you supposed to eat today? It's a mitzvah to yeah, do it. It's normally a mitzvah it's to do it, but he's an onain. So he's not supposed to do mitzvahs. But Hashem also knew that he was an onain. Hashem knew he was an onain. So why did Hashem sent him the message. Moshe, yeah. Okay. Moshe, here. And Moshe spoke to Aaron and Elazar and Isamar, the remaining sons, and said, Take the mincha that is left over from the fires of Hashem and eat the matzahs near the Mizbeach. Uh, matzahs meaning because the korban mincha is of flour and water, because they are kodesh, kodesh Kadoshim. And you should eat them in the holy place because the law for you and the law for your sons is that you should eat from the fires of God. So have so has Hashem commanded to me. Was this before or after his And you should also this is just before. And you should also eat the, the breast meat of the waved offering and the thigh of the truma. Eat it in the pure place. You and your sons, your daughters can eat with you because the law for you and the law for your sons has been given like this. Okay? And it goes on to say this. So you're saying and then, before. regarding the seir hachatas, which is the korban of Rosh Chodesh, because it was a Rosh Chodesh, uh-huh. Moshe investigated, and he finds out that they burned it up completely. They didn't eat from it. So he said, why did you eat? Why didn't you eat from it? I just told you that Hashem said you should eat from it. Yes. And their answer was, no, I understood that there's a difference between, there's a difference. Right. I saw that there was a difference. And Moshe delves into the difference. That's Darosh Darash. And that is where he draws the line. And that makes halfway through the Torah between this. So it could be that like, it's a very fine line of what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing. Sometimes it can be a very fine line. And they understood correctly what the line was which is incredible to be able to think that way. I mean, it wasn't obvious to Moshe, mm-hmm. and Aaron was able to think with that kind of clarity. Look, Moshe also suffered from the death of Nadav and Avihu. It's true, it was his nephews, not his sons, but he was very close to them. He had educated them himself. Like, imagine, you know, we try and get a good tutor for our kids. Like, Moshe Rabbeinu, like, tutored and his there was no brother's kids. Up to their death. It was, it so was a very big surprise, yeah. everything about it, right? And it was at the moment of the greatest joy. And with regard to the Pasuk, everything that crawls on its belly, Rashi even tells us this is referring to the snake. And with the snake, it even says, I will put, dis- I will put hatred between you and between the woman, between her children and between your children. Meaning there's, it's specifically talking about li- he's going to crawl on his belly. And then it starts talking about differences with the tummy, right? It's about differences. You're going to be down there. She's going to be up here. You're going to bite at their heel. And it's between you and between them and between the children and between the children. Everything's going to be a dividing area. 
And all of these psukim then that are dividing half the Torah from half the Torah, all of them, their main theme is dividing, drawing a line or making a distinction. So I'm going to stop here, but that's like by itself a really interesting right. mm-hmm. and amazing right. insight. And we will continue with Hashem so next much. week with one of the most notable belts of all history. Ooh. Yeah. You're a good teaser. <laughs> <laughs> Working every time. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So much. Thank you.